Father God, would you be our teacher, we ask. Father, we've, we have come together and we have been called into your presence. Uh, we have been singing your praises. And Father, we have also remembered the fact that as we stand before you, a holy God, we, we are sinners, but we are forgiven sinners. Thank you for that. And now, Father, as we come to look again at the commandments, that we would ask you to be our teacher and open our hearts and our minds up to you to hear what you have to say to us. And we pray all of this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as we've already indicated, we're going to be winding uh, up a series on the Ten Commandments this morning. So we look at the Tenth Commandment, which says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This commandment on its surface is a little bit different than the other commandments. I say on its surface because as we really tried to dive into each commandment, we realized that it's got a lot of fingers <laughs> that go out and, and a lot of implications to each of these commandments but on the surface, this commandment looks a little different than many of the other commandments. It's a commandment that is about the way we think or the way we feel or the way we desire or the way we long for certain things. And what makes, I think, this commandment so interesting is the fact that we, creatures made in the image of God, are actually desiring creatures. That's who we are. Uh, you know, there are some religions in the world, the Stoics would be one philosophy, Buddhists would be a, a religion that attempt to extinguish the flames of desire in the human personality. Uh, Buddhists believe, of course, that suffering in life is caused by desires. Uh, sufferings are caused by the cravings that human beings have. Therefore, if you eliminate your cravings, you eliminate suffering, your suffering, personal suffering. And probably just needs to be said and made very clear that that is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible actually commends many desires that human beings have and uh, would even indicate that some of those desires that we have are because we are made or created in the image of God. Uh, the Bible commends desires, for example, if you remember Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, desired to have a child. Hannah, Elkanah's wife, desired to have a child. The Bible commends these ladies for those desires that they had in those times. David and Jonathan had a desire for a deep, deep personal friendship, and the Bible commends them for that friendship. Sexual desire is commended in the Song of Solomon, if you've ever read that book, and while you were reading it, thought, what is this about? Well, it's about sexual desire. It's about the sexual desire that a, a husband and wife have for one another, and the Bible commends that. Proverbs, a very interesting book, one of my favorites, in fact, commends all kinds of desires. For example, a desire to work hard, it's commended, good thing. That's a good desire to have or a desire to spend what you make wisely. That's a good desire, we're told in the book of Proverbs. Or this desire of wanting to improve your lot in life. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Or wanting to plan for the future. All of those things and many more desires are commended in the book of Proverbs. And then in general, I think it's probably accurate to say that the Bible certainly commends desires like wanting to know God, wanting to know Him better, wanting to love God, wanting to love and serve your neighbor. These are things that the Bible desires, that the Bible commends. And the fact of the matter is, human beings, the Bible acknowledges, are creatures of desire. 
And we're, we are those kinds of creatures or that kind of creature because that's the way God has made us. But of course, that is not the whole story when it comes to desire, is it? Because of sin, because of fallenness, because of rebellion and brokenness in us and in the world, our desires, if we're being honest, are pretty messed up. Uh, they're pretty misdirected often. And so God chooses to correct or redirect the focus of human desire from that which is trivial or temporal or sinful to that which is weighty, that which is eternal, that which is good. Now, every honest person, I think, would have to readily acknowledge how necessary this redirection is simply because you identify in yourself desires that are not good. And when we have those misdirected desires, desires that are not good, the Bible would say that's sin. That's an evidence, an example of sin. And of course, when we examine ourselves from the inside out, there is something inside us that seems that's always telling us that, you know, we need to desire more and more and more or acquire things uh, more and more and more. And just maybe, just, just maybe that would be a solution to our problem of unhappiness, you know. Uh, human beings, uh, you know, we desire cars in our culture. We desire homes in our culture. We desire a spouse in our culture or a different spouse or a higher position or, or a plastic surgery makeover. Some of us desire, some of us could benefit from that. Uh, we desire a new wardrobe. There's all kinds of things. The list is almost endless of the kinds of desires we experience in our culture. And uh, if we can just get the thing that we desire, we think we'll be happier. Our life will be more fulfilled. We'll be more satisfied. Life will be better. And so we navigate a whole lot of our lives uh, just with these desires, hearing these voices, uh, wanting these things, believing that if I can acquire these things, I will be a happier person. And so for a time, whatever it is, kind of becomes larger than life. Uh, and often our desire to acquire it eclipses every other concern that we might have. And when that happens, that is, in essence, coveting. We've begun to covet. Uh, when something temporal has our primary focus, when something temporal uh, has our primary allegiance in life, all our energies get turned toward the acquiring of that thing. And God gets very concerned for, the, for us around the havoc that that can create in the heart and in the mind of a human being. And if we're being honest, well, just about all of us have a fascination or two or three or five or 10 um, that has the potential to become that kind of coveting fixation, that kind of controlling passion in our life. I've just got to get this. I've just got to achieve this. I've just got to have this. And uh, Therefore, those very kinds of desires are actually desires that need to be controlled, need to be held in check. It's interesting to me that the 10th commandment is uh, very closely connected in practice to the first commandment, the one we started with. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. And we looked at that rationale and how convicting that is because we recognize that we have many gods, most of us much of the time. Well, the 10th commandment is essentially saying, never let goods become your gods. That's what it's essentially saying. Never allow your desire to acquire something to, to eclipse your ongoing desire to be fully the Lord's. So, you know, what do we do? Well, 
We need to restrain our material desires because if you don't, they will get a stranglehold on you. They are capable of doing that. It's one thing, for example, to admire something, to appreciate it for its beauty, for its value, for its performance. There's no biblical prohibition against admiring or appreciating something. But coveting comes into play when admiring becomes a kind of an all-encompassing desire to possess. I've got to have. That is something I must have. And when that happens, we have actually crossed the line. The good thing has become a God thing to us. And God says, you shall have no other gods before me. It's interesting to me. We live in, a, I think, a great time. We live in a great place. We live in a great country country that lets us experience all kinds of freedoms that many people in many parts of the world uh, have never experienced. We get to decide where we're going to live for the most part. Are we going to buy a home? Are we not going to buy a home? Am I going to go to school? Am I not going to go to school? All kinds of freedoms that we enjoy. Our society presents most of us with lots of opportunities to prosper and to pursue passions that are actually good passions. And, and yet, uh, it may also be true that our culture our society has managed somehow to produce both the greatest uh, wealth as well as the most greed, the greatest opportunity uh, as well as the greatest temptation, right, to this thing of coveting and to do so at the same time. Uh, we have kind of in our culture mastered the art of getting people to believe that goods are gods, that stuff a better stuff, bigger stuff, bigger homes, cars, vacations, you know, trips, adventures uh, are somehow the key to my personal happiness. I would say this is one of the biggest false beliefs that, that runs rampant in our culture. No other society is relentlessly bombarded, I don't think, the way ours is by advertisers who spend billions of dollars every year just doing research and analysis to determine what will make us desire and then buy their product. And that's kind of the dark side, the underbelly of capitalism. Capitalism has many great aspects. This is not such a great one. Today, our computers and our smartphones are too smart. They are constantly taking data from how we use them, from sites that we search, from purchases that we make, uh, whether that's beauty ads or aids or shoes or clothes or home furnishings or automobile parts, whatever it is, all of that real-time data is being sent out and it is designed to uh, enable advertisers to tailor make advertisements for you. It's all designed to give you a constant Kind of picture drip feed. It's like being on a drip feed. A drip feed to get us to consider, to look at, to long for, to buy, to covet things that we don't yet have. It's just a steady flow of suggestions. How many of you have gotten this suggestion before? People who looked at this item also looked at the following items. Yeah, you buy something, boom, six other things pop up. You might want to consider this. And uh, these, these advertisements are based on algorithms put together by people who are paid very large salaries. They're very clever people. And these algorithms are designed to trigger mechanisms in us, buying mechanisms uh, to incline us to buy products that people who produce them want us to buy. And I would say no other society has developed the capacity to integrate things like Music, song, uh, slogans, sites, sounds as effectively as ours to get people's desires, our desires, inflamed, if you will. 
If you look closely, uh, almost all advertisements at some point in the ad include appeals to things like fear. Oh, I'm fearful. If I don't do that, I, I won't look the way I need to look or I won't be perceived the way I need to be perceived. There's a fear inducement to buy or to purchase or sexual arousal. Oh, if I, if I purchase this, I'll be more sexy or nostalgia or jealousy or pride. The list goes on and on. All these things in order to entice us to buy a product. In short, the intent of the advertisers is often to create an attitude of covetousness in us and just keep it ever present and right at the surface, always boiling to the surface. I've just got to have that. I actually need that. And they want to create a fixation that suspends reason and better judgment just long enough so that I'll go out and purchase their product. And this happens everywhere. It happens in so many different ways and so many different forms. You can be working at a particular business and managers at that business will offer sales incentives to sales forces. Here's a, here's a cruise you can, you can win uh, once upon a time. Uh, maybe that'll start again. Or, or here's a golf trip we'll give you or a car or a bonus, whatever it is. And of course, these things aren't in and of themselves bad or negative, but they become bad, I would argue, when they are so skillfully presented that people are sucked into giving them way too high a priority in their lives. The consequence being the health of family relationships or relationships with friends or God forbid, a relationship with God himself. Uh, All when those things start to deteriorate, that's when it's gone too far. That's when we've entered into coveting. Uh, There are motivational groups. I bet you've heard about some of these. They encourage you to hang pictures of your dream future, whatever that is. And you'll put that on your mirror in your bathroom or maybe over a dresser in your bedroom or maybe in your workspace at, at work just to keep this constantly in front of you, this better future that you want in hopes that constant reminders will motivate you to work harder to get what you want. And I think some of those kinds of things can be very dangerous. Uh, What we focus on, we tend to become, right? Uh, The apostle Paul tells us this too, and he was writing to the church at Colossae. He said, if then you have been raised with Christ, point being you're, you're alive in Jesus, you know Jesus now. And then he says, seek the things that are above. He's saying, focus on them. Keep your mind set on them where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Paul is actually addressing this very kind of dynamic that that we tend to set our mind on certain things and those things can tend to possess us. Jesus told his followers that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Yeah, that's not such a nice thought denying myself. Why should I deny myself anything? Well, following Jesus means actually denying yourself a lot of things. Um, We're all familiar with the words Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God. That's that's a priority thing. Making a decision to have certain things be priorities and certain things uh, not be priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? Well, necessities like food, clothing, and shelter. All these things will be added to you. So you see, covetous desires, runaway passions, fixations on things that, that rust or rot or depreciate, the temporary, the transitory, things of this world simply aren't worthy of our passionate pursuit, our passionate 
attention. Uh, we are people created in God's image. We are created to live lives that have uh, eternal importance and significance attached to them by how we love God and serve God and how we love and serve people. And when we fixate on earthly stuff, earthly possessions, we are living, frankly, with too small a purpose. And what is more, whatever you fix your heart upon other than God will wind up disappointing you. Deeply, deeply, deeply disappointing you someday. It will not come through for you in your time of need because things and even people do not ultimately satisfy our souls. I'm just curious, how many people here got married and you were pretty sure that this partner that you were marrying was gonna satisfy your soul? Anybody, anybody in that boat? You're a bunch of liars. Well, you should have been here when we did the ninth commandment. You know, when I got married, I thought, yeah, this is it. Holly's it. This is going to change. This is it. And it turns out she wasn't it. I mean, (laughs) nor am I her it. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you can enjoy things, things you have. Sure, God actually delights. Like a father looking at a child or a mother looking at a child enjoys something that's fun to play with or what have you. You can certainly enjoy people. You're supposed to enjoy and impact people. But just know this, they will, not things, not people, will never satisfy your soul. Things get lost. They get broken. They get old. They get dirty. They get devalued. They get destroyed. And people, well, people change. They change their priorities. They change their beliefs. They change their allegiances. They, they move. They, they get badly broken. They get dirty. And unfortunately, people even die. You can and you should love people through all kinds of things and ups and downs. And even as you do, though, you need to know they will not satisfy your soul, nor will you satisfy theirs. You see, even things that might hold their value in a marketplace, they get more and more valuable to the culture that observes. Uh, They still can't satisfy your soul. doesn't matter what they are. I was intrigued by something I ran across. Uh, I was looking at at a vehicle. I'm not a big car guy. But what intrigued me about this car that uh, that I saw, that I read about, was the amount of money that was paid for it. This was a 1964 Ferrari 250 LM. To those of you that know and love cars, that probably means something. It was sold for $19 million. Hot red. Man, it would be fun to drive that thing around. It really would. But you know where that car spends almost all of its time? Hidden away in a secret storage garage specially made for highly collectible, expensive automobiles. And I'm, I'm sure it was nice to be able to purchase that to own it. It's a beautiful machine, but I'm here to tell you, it's not satisfying anybody's soul and it never will because it can't. I guarantee you the soul who bought that car and paid $19 million for it, the 19 million probably is neither here nor there. It's a drop in the bucket for the person that probably paid that for that car. But I'll tell you what, after enjoying it a bit, maybe driving it just a little, admiring it, getting it in the right spot in the warehouse, getting the lights on it. And so that soul went and said, as soon as that light was shut off and the door was closed to the storage, uh, the storage garage, that soul said, what next? What can I buy now? Because here's the deal. The first commandment and the 10th commandment are God's way of telling us, look, 
I am what your soul craves. It's not cars. It's not stuff. It's not even people. I am what your soul craves. I am the only thing that can or will satisfy your soul. You want to have a fixation? Fixate on me, Jesus would say. You want to have a fixation? Fixate on my kingdom. Seek it first. Let it captivate your thoughts and you will experience some soul satisfaction. But here's the thing, when goods become God's, it's never long before personal convictions are surrendered to whatever it takes to enable us to acquire those goods. And they won't satisfy. Do you see why living in our age, and and in particular living in our country, is kind of dangerous? Especially with with this commandment, it's kind of dangerous. I mean, we're just prime candidates for the sin of coveting. Because we feed it so much, so often in our culture. You know, the uh, 10th commandment uh, talks specifically about coveting our neighbor's possessions. And I think it does that because that's kind of the ugliest expression of coveting. uh, Coveting your neighbor's possessions, wanting what your friend or your neighbor has. There's a difference, of course, between admiring or appreciating what a neighbor or a friend has. Wow, what a lovely home, what a great car. What a, what a remarkable spouse. You know, appreciating is one thing. You can appreciate, you can even be thankful for someone. And I am thankful to God that you have such a great marriage or you have such a, a great job or a great position. Well, I'm thankful to God for you. That's one thing. But when it turns to coveting, thanks goes right out the window, right? It's more about resentment. It's more about jealousy. It's more about my desire to get my hands on what you call yours. And uh, here's where sinful schemes get hatched. We looked at one last week with commandment number nine, you know, the whole lie thing. We saw that Ahab and Jezebel, his queen, uh, king and queen of the northern kingdom, they wanted a field in Jezreel. Uh, The guy who owned its name was Naboth. They hatched a scheme to get rid of him and did. And then next thing you know, they have Naboth's vineyard. You know, I I found this interesting, uh, this little tidbit of info. Are you aware of the fact that most adultery, that was a different commandment we studied, uh, most adultery that occurs in our society happens between people who were friends before the adultery uh, happened. I guess that's not too shocking. You got to know someone to commit adultery with them, don't you? But but, uh, I just, I found that interesting. Friends, friends. Then I got to thinking, I thought, well, you know, uh, any of you ever, you know, been with friends and while you're with them, you think, wow. What a great husband she has. What a great wife he has. They're so much better than my spouse. Anybody ever done that? Oh, you don't want to admit it. Man, if something ever happens to their spouse, I'm going to get in front of that line, you know. I'll tell you, thoughts like these, if we nurture them, I mean, they move from admiration or appreciation for God's goodness to that person to flirtation, to seduction. Next thing you know, another commandment's being broken. And God says, no, absolutely not. Wrong. Stop it. Do not covet another person's spouse. In fact, don't covet their house. Don't covet their ox. Don't covet their donkey. Don't covet their servants, their possessions, their power. Don't covet anything that belongs to them and not to you. 
Don't let your thoughts start down that road. That is sinful. That will destroy you. That is thinking that your happiness lies somewhere other than with God. Uh, this happens all over the place in business. Ever find yourself coveting someone else's position? Hoping that they'll experience some kind of misfortune, maybe miss a deadline or miss a quota or lose an account, a really important one or botch a project or not deliver the goods on time in the way they needed to be delivered or maybe have a character failure, anything, anything, just so their position becomes open to you getting it. There are families I, I know of, I've even been involved in counsel a few times where the families are just waiting for mom and dad to die. You can tell it because they want to get their hands on stuff. There are siblings ready to scheme and fight over what they've been coveting for years, mom and dad's money and possessions, right? Coveting what belongs to somebody else is a really serious sin for lots of reasons. Let, let me just mention quickly a couple. First, when you covet what is not yours, it unmasks the fact that you're not happy, not one bit with God's provision for your life. You're essentially saying, hey, God, you are blowing it. You are giving them something that really I deserve, that I want, that should be mine. Why do they have nicer stuff than me? You're not treating me fairly, God. And I'll tell you, attitudes like this are, are, are saying, God, you owe me. You owe me more than you're currently providing me and you're shortchanging me. And I would just caution you on thinking that way. You probably wouldn't say that to God, but I would wager you've thought thoughts like that. I have sometimes. Uh, those are dangerous, dangerous thoughts and accusations to make because what God owes you, you don't want. What God owes you is justice. That's what God owes you and me. I mean, he owes us <laughs> the full punishment for the fact that, and we'll come back to this, uh, we really struggle to obey any of the Ten Commandments. Am I right? I mean, that's kind of come through loud and clearly as we've processed through the Ten Commandments and studied them together. I mean, what he owes us is a frightening thing. It's something like judgment. It's something like punishment for our sin um, and our rebellion. But amazingly, and we've rehearsed this over and over too, and we do a lot here. Amazingly, what he gives us is not what he owes us. Because of the work of his son dying on a cross, paying for our punishment. Because of that, what he gives us is blessing and he gives us eternal life. He gives us blessings of all kind, starting even here and now in, in this life. Things like food, clothing, and shelter. And then add to that life and breath. You just took a breath. It's not yours. You're not entitled to it. He just gave it to you. And then there's stuff like health and family and friends and kids, grandkids. All these things, blessings, gifts. All of these things are gifts, gifts, gifts from God. He does not owe us any of these things. It's a good thing we don't get what he owes us. Uh, you know, another reason why coveting is such an ugly, ugly sin is it's like peeling back the layers of an onion, right? When you get enough of them, you get to the inside and you see what's in there. And when you do this to us, 
Well, what you start to see is you see a heart in human beings that really is utterly, utterly self-seeking. Because you think about coveting. Wow, I, I like that person's spouse. I'd like him. I'd like, I'd like her. Well, where does that leave them? Well, I don't really care where that leaves them. I'm only thinking of me, you see. Or boy, I'd sure like that person's job. Well, maybe they like the job too. Well, I don't really care one whit about that. I'm really only thinking about me, you see. The coveting mind displaces a person and values them not at all, but wants what they have and says, that should be mine. Coveting is just about as ugly as sin gets in that it is 100% through and through self-seeking, selfish. Y'all know one time Jesus summarized the law. He was asked a question, what What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus summarized it. You're familiar with this in Matthew 22. He said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two go together. You can't keep one and not keep the other. Coveting your neighbor's possessions is such a serious sin, friends, precisely because it breaks both of these commandments. Commandment number one and commandment number two of the great commandments. It breaks both of these commandments at the same time. It accuses God of not providing for you what you deserve, right? And it reveals a lack of love for the person whose stuff we covet. This is what makes coveting such an ugly, evil manifestation of what goes on in our hearts. Now, here's the deal. The Bible suggests an alternative to coveting. Amen. Thank you, God, because we need something other than coveting. Why? Because coveting doesn't satisfy anybody ever. And the Bible suggests an alternative, and it's called contentment. Contentment. And contentment's a word we don't hear a lot in our society. Uh, you're not going to hear it much because who wants to talk about contentment, really, right? Let me tell you what contentment is not, because some people are unclear about this. Contentment is not laziness. Contentment is not passivity. Contentment is not lack of ambition for purposeful, God-honoring things. I'll tell you what I think contentment is. Contentment is, as much as anything, it's a condition of the heart. It's a heart that's been changed and reoriented. Or to put it another way, it's a conviction of the mind, the spirit, seeing itself and life and things differently. It's the inner sense of knowing that what you need in any given moment, you have. You can be content. Whether you're poor, whether you're affluent, whether you're somewhere in between, you can be content. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, wrote these words. He said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And you just got, I read that, you know, I have that highlighted in my Bible. It's like, wow, wow, okay, okay. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low, meaning have nothing. And I know how to abound, have everything, everything I could want. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And him is who? Jesus. Jesus. 
Paul's words here make me believe that you see that contentment is a condition of the heart. His heart was changed in order to think that way. It's a conviction of the mind. It was a faith matter to trust Jesus regardless whether he had plenty or whether he was in want. You see, it's not based on what a person has or doesn't have. We all know people with plenty whose lives are full of discontent, plenty of discontent, even though they've got plenty of stuff. Contentment is more a matter of who you know than what you have. More a matter of who you know than what you have. David, King David, said this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's contentment. David could be content because of who he knew. Being satisfied in the very core of our being has everything to do with knowing Jesus, I would say, as your shepherd. Because knowing Jesus changes your heart, refocuses your mind, uh, instills faith in you that I can trust him through and in anything, any circumstances, abounding or being without. Some of you will remember Jesus' famous declaration. It was no coincidence that he said this. He had to be thinking about many passages, but one of them was Psalm 23 and David's declaration that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And truth be told, there is no good thing the good shepherd will not do for his sheep, for you, if you follow him. And you see, here's the thing. When I know that, when I'm locked in on that and I'm focused on that and I know that to be true, when I trust that the shepherd is watching out for me, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when I know that the shepherd is orchestrating circumstances in my life so I can grow, so I can thrive, so I can be the person that is honoring to God, the person I'm actually meant to be, well, then guess what? I can be really content. Now, I know what a challenge it is to think this way. I know how difficult it is. We, we talked last week about how prone we are to lie, but we didn't just stop there. We said we're also very prone to believe lies. And I'll tell you, friends, uh, things like our culture, things like our own brokenness, bentness, sinfulness in us, and then there's always the evil one, right? These things are lying to us all the time. And I'll tell you one of the biggest lies that I hear in my head and that is, Dwayne, you know, you, you need more than God, something other than God to really make you happy. You need certain people in order for you to be happy. You need certain things in order for you to be happy. You not only need them, Dwayne, you deserve them. <laughs> and there's that word again. I mentioned that a moment ago, this matter of what we deserve. Friends, you know, we're finishing up talking about the Ten Commandments this morning. Uh, and boy, what a study uh, this has been for me. I hope for you too. Uh, I wonder, uh, ask you a question. How many of these Ten Commandments have you actually kept? Ten? Show of hands. Nine? Eight? Yeah. Let me ask a question this way. How many of you have kept any of them? Yeah, me either. 
And here we sit in a church and those who are visiting with us this morning are a little nervous right now. They're thinking, what kind of a church have we come to? These people don't keep any of the Ten Commandments with them. <laughs> I mean, we're good church-going people, right? But here's the truth about us. We have violated every one of these commandments more than any of us really want to admit. So let's go back to that question. What do we deserve, really? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. When the Bible talks about death, it means spiritual separation from God. Yes, physical death, but also spiritual separation from God. The wages of sin, the wages of our rebellion, the wages of us doing wrong and doing evil in the sight of God is death. What I deserve is justice, punishment, death. And yet, as I said earlier, what I get is blessing upon blessing upon blessing because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did for me. And here's the thing. You might be sitting here this morning. You don't even, you're not sure what you believe about Jesus or, you know, is he God or who, you know, you haven't settled some of those things at this particular point. And so you, you may not even acknowledge that, yes, every, every good thing you have is a gift from God. Uh, the Bible would say it doesn't matter whether you acknowledge it or not. Uh, the good things you have are gifts. Gifts to you from God. And so, you know, if, if that's true, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is um, rather than ask, why don't I have as much as I want? Why don't I have as much as you? Why don't I have more? What I really should be asking is, why on earth do I have anything at all? Do you see that? In view of how I have violated God's law, in view of how I have not loved my neighbor as myself, I should be asking, why, why do I have a wife? Why do I have children? Why do I have grandchildren? Why do I have a house? Why do we have cars to drive? Why, why do I have anything, God? And the answer is pretty straightforward and simple. The answer is because I have a gracious, caring, loving, forgiving shepherd. We have a God who gives us the opposite of what we deserve. If we just finish that verse that we looked at a moment ago from Romans 6, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And this is the greatest but in the whole world, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, and yet we want to obligate God to give us things to make us happy. We're so confused and bent. We think, God, if I, just, if, I, if I just had more of this and a little more of that, I'd be a lot more happier. If I just had this person or that person in, in my life, I'd, I'd be so, so much better off, so much happier, God. Please hear me on this. No, you wouldn't. Because you see, you haven't found contentment in Jesus Christ. And more of something won't make you happier. That is a lie. 
That's a lie that advertisers want us to believe. That's a lie that the evil one wants us to believe. That is a lie that my flesh, my brokenness, my bent sinfulness in me is constantly wanting me to believe. And here's the sad thing. The sad thing is we do believe that all too often. (laughs) I see myself believing that. I I feel like the Apostle Paul, um, Daniel was walking us through this passage in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, I want to believe right, I want to experience contentment, real contentment, well, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I know what I should think, but I don't. And then Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this this body of death? And I I find myself asking that very question and making that very statement. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul's answer is Jesus. It's not more complicated than that. Jesus, Jesus will deliver you from your bentness, your brokenness, your sinfulness. Jesus will deliver us from our coveting and our lack of contentment. Jesus will change our hearts and our minds. We just need Jesus. That's the best answer I've got for you and for me. You know, I shared last week a statistic that really is troubling to me. That statistic was this, it says somewhere around 5% or less of people who call themselves followers of Jesus actually structure their finances a way to deliberately obey God. Now I bring this up because uh, I'm guessing that you're a little bit like me, there's nothing more important to you than your finances. (laughs) You you, You probably keep track of your accounts and balances and expenses and things of that nature. Well, I I really hope that um, this statistic isn't true, but somewhere around 5% or less of people who call themselves Christians actually structure their finances in a way to deliberately obey God. Now, here's the reason why that's true. It's what we're talking about this morning. It's coveting. We think that God can't be trusted. That's a lie. We think that our money is our money. It's mine. I earned it. Keep your bloody hands off of it. Or or we think that we need more stuff and I can use my money to get the stuff I think I need. And I would just point out, if you want to break the cycle or the bondage of coveting in your life, if that is something you need to address, if you want to build in ongoing disciplines of believing the truth, whether about God or you or your stuff and what and who you need to be truly a happy person, well, then here's the spiritual discipline for you to try to practice. It's called giving, tithing. You know, giving is God shows you an opportunity to help someone in their life and you've got resources that could help them in some way. Well, you do it. That's giving. Tithing is taking 10% of what you own and putting it into kingdom kinds of things. Things that advance the purposes of God in the world. But I'll tell you this, and here's the thing. Here's the, here's the uh, tricky part, the, the, the part that, uh, that creates growth in us. You see, giving and tithing requires us to trust God. It requires us to prioritize our spending. 
And we don't like doing that. I would prefer, to be honest with you, that in terms of priority, that I be number one, so I'll buy whatever I darn well want, right? But giving and tithing requires us to invest in heavenly treasure. It requires us to regularly confess and to repent and to receive forgiveness when we find ourselves not living a contented life, but a covetous life. A life that's really based on the principle of consumption. I would just observe that we will never be liberated, let alone content, until we see our stuff as stuff to, yes, enjoy. God is the the ultimate parent. God loves to watch his children enjoy anything that they have. Uh, You know, if you've got a boat, enjoy it. That's wonderful. But don't enjoy it to the neglect of pursuing kingdom things and laying up treasure in heaven, the scriptures would tell us. You know, covetous people, here's the deal, covetous people, believe they need more and therefore they always want more. And when they get it, boy, they hang onto it with clutched, closed fists and they worry that they'll lose it or they worry that somebody will take it away from them and then there goes their happiness, it's gone. Because you see, their goods have become their gods. And, and here's the thing, the 10th and final commandment says, you, my people, my sheep, shall not covet. When I was putting this message together and thinking about it and feeling bothered by it, my prayer became, God, make everybody who has to listen to this message just as uncomfortable as this is making me. Because we live in a consumptive lifestyle and a consumptive age and a consumptive uh, culture. And I just fear that far too many of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord In our consumer-mad society, we are laying up treasures here on earth, but not storing up very many in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy. And it would be my prayer that this church, Deer Creek Church, would be filled with contented people. People whose, whose mind, whose focus is set on Christ people whose passions center and swirl around seeking first the kingdom. People who want to love our neighbors, want our neighbors to know the good shepherd the way we've come to know him. And, you know, in the meantime, we look around ourselves and we see and we're reminded that we've been given so much materially, so much relationally, so much spiritually, eternal life. Why have we been given all these things? Because we have Jesus as our shepherd, our good shepherd. And if you're not content this morning, I would say that you need to know Jesus better. Because you see, contentment is not about what you have. Contentment is about who you know. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this study that we've had in the Ten Commandments. It's, it's been convicting so many times on so many different levels. Uh, I would pray for myself, God, that uh, more and more uh, I would, by the power of your Spirit, be able to live in the spirit of the Ten Commandments and honor you through obeying them. Because by doing so, God, I honor you, I love you, I love my fellow man, and, 
and seek to serve them. I pray, God, for all of us that that would be something growing in us by the work of your word and the power of your spirit. That what we see embodied, the love for you and the love for people that we see embodied in the Ten Commandments would come out of us. And and on this commandment, commandment number 10, Lord, make us people of contentment. What a witness that would be to this consumptive world in which we live. Thank you, God, for meeting here with us this morning, for speaking to us for this time of worship. Receive our praise as we offer it to you now in song, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.